Hey, this is Lee. I really hope you've been enjoying the Business of Marketing podcast. It's from marketers and for marketers, and my intention is to bring you value, experiences, and insights that you can use. Also, if your company would like to have their own podcast, I would love to help. The team at Content Monster specializes in B2B podcasts. So if we can help, contact me at contentmonster.com. That's contentmonster.com. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Business of Marketing podcast where we have conversations with some of the most influential and thought-provoking minds in marketing, sales, and business. And here's your host, A. Lee Judge. Welcome again to the Business of Marketing. I'm A. Lee Judge. You know, there was a time when marketing was more heavily art than science, but with the amount of data available to us today, it can't be ignored that it's the data that helps us make the best decisions and understand the quality of the marketing work that we've done. This doesn't mean that understanding how to gather and interpret all this data is easy, though. Luckily, we have people like today's guest to help us understand and navigate through all the data tools and analytics available to marketers and businesses. Today's guest is is the go-to guy when you want to dig deep into the analytics of marketing. He's a co-founder and chief data scientist at TrustInsights.ai, a marketing analytics consulting firm. He's a keynote speaker who's been on stage for companies such as IBM, Marketo, Salesforce, HubSpot, and more, where he shares his knowledge on digital marketing, marketing technology, and artificial intelligence. And most of all, he bridges the gap between marketing and technology. By the end of this podcast, I'm sure you'll want to follow him and keep learning from his insights. So welcome to the podcast, Christopher Penn. Thanks for having me. Man, I'm really uh, looking forward to, and, and I apologize to the listeners, we're going to be all over the place because Chris has so much knowledge that I want to tap into and share with you. Um, and I'm sure, Chris, that there's a lot more to your expertise than what I just stated. So you want to give us a brief summary of, of how you find yourself at the crossroads of, of data and marketing? Uh, the really short version is I, I'm an IT guy by trade. And in the early 2000s, I just joined this um, financial services company where I was the CTO, uh, you know, the the whatever this, and I was also the guy who cleaned the restaurant on Fridays because it was just a three-person startup. <laughs> and what happened over that decade was that technology and marketing converged to become what we call today marketing technology. So update the web server became update the website, fix, you know, Unix send mail became send the email newsletter. And my career mm. pivoted to becoming a market, what we now call marketing technology. The term didn't exist back then. And uh, in 2011 uh, was when Google Analytics released multi-channel uh, uh, funnels, the ability to track and do more than just last touch attribution. And it was at that point where I really pivoted again to focusing on analytics and data. A couple of years later, I joined a, um, a PR agency as a VP of marketing technology and started working more with data science and machine learning and AI. And then uh, in 2018, uh, kind of outgrew where I was at the time. And with my uh, with my partner, uh, we founded Trust Insights and, and just d- doubled down on data and organizational change and understanding how to make how to make stuff work better, frankly. And that's the very short version of how we got here. That's interesting because uh, on a previous couple of shows, I talked with other people who were were in the marketing field, but none of us came from marketing. And I'm realizing the more marketers I talk to, the the fewer, the rarer it is that you started from high school or college with, I'm going to be a marketer. You know, the, the last two people I talked to were journalists. 
Um, <clears throat> I was a content creator um, and you're from IT and we all end up in this world, which shows you how, how broad marketing is and how many disciplines it takes to be an effective marketer. And we need all those disciplines. And I really respect the IT portion of it because myself, the digital part, I never thought was part of marketing. I had a marketing job probably four or five years until uh, a company I worked for realized I knew how to build SQL databases. And they said, well, if you can build SQL databases, then you need to be our Salesforce admin. And so from <laughs> sales, <laughs> you know, so, so just, sorry. yeah, yeah, exactly. So just by understanding relational databases, like you said, you went from one to the other because it kind of pulled you into it based on your previous knowledge. And so from Salesforce came Pardot and Marketo. And so when all of a sudden that marketing and data came together for me was the new title of digital marketer, which didn't exist either. So I really, really respect where you're coming from. So let's dive into to the data. Um, this is a question I want to ask you because most marketers, especially if they're close to, to, to operations, uh, has something like this. And so I want to ask you when talking to marketers, if you're talking to a world of marketers, what is one big thing you would love to get off your chest right now that you wish every marketer could understand today about data? What, what would it be? Well, it would be this. Data is an ingredient, right? And if you're cooking, ingredients are important, right? Not going to say that they're not, because if all you got is mac and cheese, I don't care how good a cook you are, you're making mac and cheese, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's one of four parts to the puzzle. You have, you have the data, you have, you know, think about this, like you have ingredients, right? You have your skills as a cook, you have the tools that you have available to you, right? If you're making soup and all you got is a frying pan, you're going to have a real hard time making soup. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you've got to have the recipe, right? Like, what are you cooking? Uh, what's the outcome you're after? A lot of marketers think data is one of two things. Either it's a curse and we, you know, and it's, you know, and they, you know, they didn't sign up for to, to be doing math and marketing, which is, you know, one perspective or the, the opposite extreme. They think it's some kind of magic fairy dust. You sprinkle it on something and it's instantly better. Like, no, it's not MSG. It, it, it's, it's, it's something else. And you need all four pieces working together. And where the gap is a lot of the time is not in the data itself. It, it's not even the tools either, although every every MarTech vendor would like you to think it is because that's how they sell things. It mm -hmm. is in the people and their skills and it's the processes you have internally. Those are the things that are most of the time broken in organizations. And if you've got a problem with, with data in marketing, you actually probably have a people and process problem and the data is just a symptom of much bigger organizational problems. That's interesting because anybody in marketing operations typically has some some inside jokes they have with each other about people, right? Um, I, I had a salesperson actually tell me that he was not going to do administrative work. And I'm, I'm asking, what do you mean by administrative work? He said, well, you ask me in Salesforce to check this box and reassign this or to do things. And he's like, that's administrative work. I don't want to check where this lead came from. I don't want to tell you how I met them. I don't want to fill out more than just name and email address. That's administrative work. So I said, well, you're leaving out all the other things that marketers need to know to bring you better leads. You know, was it at the trade show? Was it via email? How do we know trade shows even work if you don't tell us you met them at a trade show? So it's interesting you said people. And, and I think no matter how much technology you put in place, it does come back to people, huh? 
Yep. People are the worst. Um, I love technology. <laughs> I'm glad you said I, it. I'm glad you put it really out there. You really don't and like said humans. Let's, humans. Let's get it are, off our chest. <laughs> exactly. Humans are just are just messy, painful, you know, bags of mostly water. <laughs> I love it. I love where this is going already because you're saying things that anybody who gets anywhere near market operations wants to say because sometimes <laughs> it's just humans. You know, you you can automate the crap out of something, but still there's humans. And if you go too far to automations, then the humans get upset because they want control of things that they're not going to do. Simply put. And you know what? That's fine. They have to be ready then to be made obsolete. And I, and I don't say that lightly. I'm actually working on a blog post that I was writing this morning um, using one of the new GPT models. So if you're not familiar, GPT stands for generative, generative pre-trained transform. It's a natural language generation form of AI. Okay. And over the last three years, they've been getting better and better and better. Um, the newest generation are, are so incredible. I took a, a really terrible press release. I found this press release from some plumbing company in like Oklahoma. Uh, I'm like, why, you sh you know, why, why trees can disrupt your plumbing? And I took just the first paragraph of the press release and I fed it to this new version of GPT. And I said, write me the rest of this press release. And it mm. did. It spit out. It generated a, 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 the rest of the press release and I compared it to the original and it was so much better. Oh, so the geez. original was just like a lot of blathering and stuff, you know, and so-and-so says this and these things. And in the revised version that the machine guessed at, mm -hmm. it made a bullet point of here are the things that you should know. Like don't plant trees more than closer than the five feet to your house. Don't plant fruit and nut trees closer than 12 feet to your house. Put down mulch. Mulch helps keep soil moisture near the surface so trees don't push their roots down as far. I'm like, I didn't know this. <laughs> um, and I had to go and verify that what the machine synthesized was mm -hmm. actually true. And it was. Um, and I was like, this is really good. Like, so the, the act of administrative work, right. Of, mm -hmm. of writing a press release, a machine did it better than I would have. And it, it did it better than what the company originally put out. So if someone has the perspective that they are, that, you know, work like that is below them, well, then yes, machines will do that and, and it will keep creeping up on you until you are obsolete, unless you keep advancing your skills to keep pace with the machines and focusing on the things that the machines can't do. But a lot of these tasks that we do in marketing are slowly and surely going to go to the machines because they'll do a better job of them. They'll do mm -hmm. them with less complaining and they'll do them for lower cost. Hmm. So, so pivoting away from the sales guy who is the human, <laughs> the water bag that we're worried about, <laughs> the marketer. So AI and marketing, and this isn't just analytics, this is actually creating things. So, um, Hmm. From a standpoint of creation. Now, t previously, when you look at, you know, spun articles by computer, the biggest issues were, were grammar. The grammar was bad or it didn't make sense. The, they were the right words, but they were in the wrong order kind of thing. But for what I'm hearing now, you're saying that it's possible they could do better research faster and it still all makes sense. And I guess you could also spin in SEO in there, too. C computer can do more research for SEO and create a better article. So even the creative people have to watch their backs too. Huh? It, it, that, that's that exactly right. And here's the thing. SEO itself is evolving. So one of the things that Google announced recently at its uh, marketing live thing was that they've got this new SEO model, right? It's called MUM. And what MUM is, it, it's a multi-domain. It's called the Multitask Unified Model. And what mm -hmm. it does is it's bringing together a whole bunch of different content into a completely new way of, of ranking search results. The old way of 
sort of index, uh, retrieve, and rank uh, sort of d did things in, in, in steps. So it's relatively speaking slow. This newer model tries to take into account all of the context of uh, the documents it's ingesting and then spit out results much faster, but also cross domains. So things like this podcast, the video that goes with this, um, the text, it's comparing what we've created with known expertise, right? With known good things. So if you write something that's really expert and Google compares it to say like a book on the topic, um, it will say, okay, well, what you've written seems to mirror the language, sort of the semantics of the known good things. So we're going to say that you're probably an authority on this thing. On the other hand, if you outsource your blog to like your teenage cousin, uh, and you know they you give an SEO checklist, but they basically write gibberish, right? Or you know your dog could just walk across the keyboard and come about the same thing. <clears throat> you're gonna this model is gonna look at these two things and go, well, this one doesn't look like the expert model, so we're gonna rank that lower. So it's incumbent upon us as content marketers to figure out what do we need to do to be perceived as expert, to provide Google with all the inputs it needs to show our stuff first, right? Uh, real simple example of this, you go on YouTube, watch a video. Most of the time, there's a closed caption button. Now, for most video creators, most video creators do not upload closed captions, right? Only about like 14% or so do. You should, by the way, it's uh, for two reasons. One, it's good for accessibility. And two, that data, those closed captions is what Google ingests into its model to understand what your video is about. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, image recognition, visual recognition. So these new models that Google is coming up with are going to radically change how SEO is done. It's not going away. It's going to put the burden of being authoritative, of having real expertise on us. It, it's going to be a really, really hard time, by the way, for agencies um, <clears throat> because there is no substitute in this new type of model for actual expertise. You can't hand it to the junior account coordinator who just graduated college and say, okay, create some content on something like, I don't know, uh, spike proteins on coronaviruses. <clears throat> They're not going to be able to do it. Not to the same level of authority that someone who has an actual PhD in virology will be able to create the same thing. And in these models, Google will look at it and go, well, this was written by like the intern. Now, this is written by a PhD. <laughs> We're going to give the authority score to the PhD. I think that in itself is one of the strongest arguments. And I, I use this when I talk to my podcast customers. When it comes to podcasting and thought leadership, the conversations that you and I are having right now, for example, we're talking from, a from an area of expertise. It's natural conversation, something that a computer won't be able to, you know, to, to replicate as well. And we're experts. So if a company needs to create content and they're recording their thought leader conversations, they're recording podcasts or creating videos from conversations, then they're generating thousands of words that are in natural language from experts. You can't, you know, you can't send that to the marketing department or intern to write this stuff up. Nope. You're, you're much better off getting your CEO or your technologist to say, hey, can I have 30 minutes of your time to talk to you? You know, get him to talk and create the kind of language, the kind of information that's conversational, that has all the lingo in it, but it's not spun and a computer can't tell that it's spun. It's real authentic information, right? Exactly. And you're going to have anomalies in there <clears throat> that are the markers of expertise. And that's something mm. that, again, a lot of these folks who are, who are in the SEO world, you know, in, on the, particularly on the agency side, will miss. If I am talking about, for example, you know, uh, machine learning. Uh, maybe we're doing predictive analytics. I'm going to have weird expressions and things um, like centering and scaling, or I'm going to say something like Fourier transforms that 
someone just researching off of a keyword list from an SEO tool is not going to get because there are little right. oddities. There's these little artifacts. We talk about, for example, uh, cooking. Like you have, you're talking about making making a, a, a tomato caprese salad. If you a person who's just copying and pasting from another source is going to say, okay, put tomatoes, put basil, put salt, um, put mozzarella cheese, and some balsamic vinegar, right? That's pretty standard. But the expert will be explaining, you put the tomatoes down and then you put the salt on because tomatoes plus salt creates a natural form of glutamic acid, right? Uh, which is <laughs> it's a word. MSG, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. again, that's the difference between expertise and someone's copying and pasting from you know wherever, and you're going to and Google because it's pulling from known authoritative sources is going to have those catalogs of anomalies that the 22 year old you know, no offense to 22 year olds but the 22 year old account coordinator is just not going to have. Yeah, yeah, and I've tried to, you know, hire writers for both my myself for my for my agency for for clients, and the first thing I ask them you say well and I say well send me some samples of what you have. And first of all, unless you're willing to do a lot of research, then don't even don't even submit anything because unless you do a lot of research, you won't even scratch the surface of where we're going with the quality that's needed. And and exactly. even then, that that level you just spoke of with those those additional words and things that come from an expert, still it's going to be hard to get those things in there. Exactly. Hmm. So which. In, in some ways, will be good because it will mean higher quality content for us as consumers. It'll be good because we'll get better answers out of Google, right? Um, we will trust it more. It'll be good for companies that have legitimate expertise. It'll be bad for companies that don't. <laughs> yeah, that's when you got to pay your analysts to come in and uh, and talk for you. Yeah, which exactly that's that's real that's real money talking about there, <laughs> or us. <laughs> Still, we're not free either. <laughs> There we go. Yeah. I mean, the, the expertise, if you don't have it in-house, you got to you know bring it in-house, have those conversations, capture them, record them, and create. It's almost the, the whole theory of you know document versus create. Mm -hmm. If you document an expert doing their thing, you've got some really great content. If you try to create it, it's going to be really tough to do and satisfy Google. Exactly. So let me pivot a little bit um, and talk about some things that are kind of timely. So I work with several large organizations on their marketing operations. And two of the hottest topics right now are the changes in Google Analytics, the new version, as well as changes in the, you know, the big one, third-party cookie tracking. So regarding cookies, you know, while we, well, the first wave of hype has hit us, there's still a lot of work to be, get, to be done. Um, so I want to ask you, you know, for organizations that have multiple domains, multiple analytics platforms, multiple marketing automation platforms, what's gonna, what should be their worry right now? What should they be thinking about? Uh, you know, a lot of that's marketing, marketing tech, right? So if you have multiple domains, um, you can, you can there, most of the tools do offer some level of cross-domain support. Ideally, what you're doing is you're actually having stuff be, you know, subdomained. Um, and that's sort of the way around that. Um, with Third-party cookie tracking in general, I mean, the biggest impact really is going to be there on the advertising side, on what you can get from ad tech platforms. Uh, Google, again, at their marketing live conference was very interesting. They are using uh, their machine learning capabilities, plus the fact that they own a substantial amount of the consumer tech stack to essentially do an end run around the end of cookies. They don't need cookies to infer data anymore because they have all the behavioral data. Think about it. They own Chrome right? Chrome is 66% of the browser market. They own Google search, which is 92% of the search market. They own the Android system, right? Which is the operating system on 70% of mobile phones. 
They own YouTube. YouTube. So they know what you're <laughs> yeah. watching. They own Gmail. They know what you're reading. They own Google Home. So they know what temperature your house is. They own my TV because I have YouTube TV. Exactly. They own your TV. They have they own Chromecast, right? Which is not only installed on in you know, a lot of TVs, but is also like half the conference rooms, you know, that, that businesses mm-hmm. have. They own Google Analytics and persuaded millions of us to put it on all of our websites. So their digital footprint is so big that it really doesn't matter whether cookies are there or not, because they have visit first they have first party visibility for themselves into pretty much everything that enough a, a large enough sample of consumers is doing that they can draw and infer really good models from that they don't need cookies to be able to do cross-domain tracking i mean again they have google analytics right they we've put google analytics all around the web it's on pretty much every site you go to they don't need a cookie to know that you went from your website to mine because the two instances of google analytics just share that data with google so google has done what no other tech company has done in that they have infiltrated so much of our every part of our lives that they don't have to worry about that that visibility that what that will mean is though is that there will be increased competition for uh inventory particularly in the google ad system and you'll expect you can expect those prices to go up because Mm. their targeting will just work better um whereas other companies like facebook which does not have the same kind of footprint as big as facebook is facebook is not in your refrigerator facebook is not on your tv (laughs) you know facebook is not in your car uh it's just an app on your phone um and given how much that they've done to damage trust, particularly in the last you know mm. year or two, they they're in much greater trouble than 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 Google is. Um, so that that's where I feel like we are on on third party cookies. And yeah, Google Analytics is a whole other creature. <laughs> yeah, I mean because so I mean I have websites that I run, and I work with organizations with big websites, and you know it's it's a headache to go through and and change things over to to Google four versus three. Um, is there any real urgency in that? Is there going to be a time when your three no longer works or will it just be the matter of better functionality on four? They will eventually sunset it. Like they, they did sunset like the original urchin tracking codes, the GA.js. Uh, they sunset that what, uh, in 2014, I think was when that stopped working, uh, which was nine years after they acquired it. So it's not exactly, uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't an overnight thing, all new development, all new uh, features and all the stuff that Google is talking about, like inferring behavioral data, all that's going to be in Google Analytics for only. Um, so if mm. you want any of the new stuff that they're coming out with, it's going to be in there. The big thing with Google Analytics for is that people are misunderstanding what it does because we got used to what Google Analytics 3 did. Google Analytics 3 is kind of an all-in-one Swiss army knife, right? You put it on your website, you can see stuff, you can get reports and all this stuff. That's not what GA4 is. Configuration and tracking and stuff is now effectively in the domain of tag manager you should be using google tag manager so all your configuration like your goals setting up the events needed to track conversions google analytics for happens in tag manager right Hmm. there's google analytics 4 which is the analytical engine it's a bi tool right it is an a true analysis tool there's a section called analysis hub right and then the reporting engine is google data studio you're supposed to be mm-hmm. doing all your reporting and visualization there. So now instead of one thing that kind of was okay, you know, it, was, it was a good product, um, they split it up to have three best of breed products that each focus on what that specific thing does. And it's a big mind shift for people because they are used to just going into Google Analytics and running an ad hoc report. No, you run an analysis. You try and solve a problem in, in a BI tool. But then once you understand the problem and solution, you then 
port that to your reporting tool and you provide that reporting to your users. One of the things that's really challenged a lot of marketers with GA4 is that the interface, A, is so different, and B, is a little slim you know, for what they're used to. Like the, all the pre-can mm -hmm. reports aren't in there and the, the things that they're used to. And it is. It's, it's pretty slim. The analysis hub really is the core of it. Why? Because you're not supposed to be in there doing reports. You're supposed to be in Data Studio. Mm. This makes a lot of sense because it lets GA4 be a more powerful tool, albeit slightly less user-friendly, because all the user-friendly stuff goes to Data Studio. And it makes organizational sense because you don't want your executives tooling around in Google Analytics. That's just a recipe for frustration for everybody. You want to give them a Data Studio dashboard. They can manipulate a few boxes. They can get the information they need. They go away happy, and you get to, to keep the analysis portion within GA4. That's what's so different about it and why people are struggling so much to adopt it because they're used to having one place to do everything, and now they have to think about three different places and have a lot more governance and process as to what goes where. That's very good. That's very clear. I'm glad you said that because that is even something that I saw when I first went into GA4 was it's slim. Where is everything? And so what you're saying is don't expect everything to be in one place because it's it's grown so big. Maybe it's even better to have it compartmentalized and go deeper in individual places than try to cram everything in one place. Exactly right. Okay. Well, that that I think is is a it's a gem right there for anybody who peeps into G four or starts using Google Analytics four. They know what to prepare themselves for. That don't try to do everything in one place. Exactly. Um, and I know you go a lot deeper in that and lots of the other things. So before we go too much further, I want to make sure. And this isn't this isn't a wrap up, but I want to make sure that um, the people listening to this podcast know where else to to contact you. So tell me real quick. You know your website, your your podcast, your in your, we'll get into the book a little bit later too as well. Uh, yeah, so my company's website is trustinsights.ai and, and our one of my podcasts is there. I have another podcast too. Uh, and then my personal blog is over at ChristopherSPen.com and you can find everything you know, branches off from all those places. My The other podcast that I do, I've been doing since 2006 uh, with my partner, John Wall, is Marketing Over Coffee and that is probably on like episode like 700 or something now. That's the one I want to dig into. So, I, you know, I have to admit, I just became aware of that podcast and I see you've been very successful at it and it goes deep into the things we just spoke about a moment ago, plus more in all these hundreds of episodes. So how many episodes are you in? At 700 now. 700. Okay. That is unreal. So that's so <laughs> admirable. So how, tell us, you know, what was the key to keeping a podcast going that long? Um. A, it's have a routine, right? You record at a, at a, as close to a specific day and time as you can. And B, the thing that makes marketing over coffee useful is that it's driven not by us, but by the audience, by like people asking questions. Uh, and you know, the more that people ask questions, the easier it is for you to create lots of content. Marcus Sheridan has a great book that you actually don't need to read because the title tells you everything you need to know about what's in the book. It's called They Ask, You Answer, right? That's it. Mm -hmm. That's the entire content strategy. Um, you, you probably should still read the book anyway. Uh, but that's all you need to create long-form content that's valuable, that's rich, and that can go on forever because people have questions. You have answers to those questions. Answer people's questions. And 
there's you know the the general rule of thumb i was always taught when i was learning how to teach was that for every one person who raises their hand with a question there's 10 other people that have the exact same question but they're afraid to raise their hands so and and now in the digital world i think it's probably close to like one you know one person has a question a thousand people have that that same question and you know they're just lurking they don't, you don't even know they're there but they're reading they're listening and so when we get all these questions we just answer them so on marketing over coffee you know, John and I created the show of basically to keep ourselves informed as to what's going on in marketing. Oh, here's some cool articles and things and, and looking at stuff. And Oh, I didn't know this was a thing. Uh, same with my newsletter. Like I've been doing um, an email newsletter since 2010, a weekly email newsletter. It's my own thing. Uh, every Sunday, it's called Almost Timely News. And we're like 220,000 subscribers now. And it's it, it, it was for me, right? It's It was, he, I need to go look through... Uh, the articles from the last week, you know, see what happened in the industry. And I put the ones I thought were useful into my newsletter because I curated it. I started a pandemic newsletter uh, in January of 2020 when I first heard about the pandemic um, before it even had the name COVID-19. And it, I, that's a daily newsletter. And all that is, is me going, OK, well, what do I need to read about from acknowledged authorities and experts, virologists, immunologists and stuff about the pandemic? I was telling folks, you know, in in late January, you should be stocking up. You should have some N95 masks. You know, you have these things ready to go. So because this, this looks like it's going to be a thing. Uh, I remember I reached out to uh, a few conferences I was speaking at, saying like, "Hey, this looks like it's going to be a thing. Backup plan. If you need me to, I can record my session as a video." I got all these emails back saying, "What are you talking about? You know, this, it's nothing." Sure enough, those conferences that were in April, like, "Oh yeah, um, we need you to record that session." <laughs> <laughs> so. The process of creating content should be about you learning and mm. you getting knowledge and you answering people's questions. Because if you are learning, and this is one of the golden rules of content marketing, if you are learning, then by default, your audience is learning because they're following you. If you're creating, creating stuff and you're not learning, then they may not be learning either. They may see like, yeah, it's the same old things. It's getting stale. But every time you put something out there, it's new. Like, huh, I didn't know this was a thing. Now you're teaching your audience. And so if you want longevity, you keep learning and keep sharing what you learn. The, what's the old joke? Uh, how do you tell an aerobics instructor? They've taken one more class than everyone else has, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the exact same thing in marketing. If you're learning about your industry and you're sharing what you learn as you learn it, you're taking people on the journey with you. And as long as you keep learning, that journey is infinite. You know, one of the litmus tests, tests I have in terms of looking for people for this podcast is can I learn something from them? Because I figure, okay, I'm at a, I won't say expert, a mature level in my marketing career. I know a little bit about marketing. I want to make sure I interview people who I can learn from, because mm -hmm. if I can learn from them, then I know my audience up and down can learn from them as well. When I looked at your, your, your background and bio, I said, wow, I can learn a lot from this guy. I, I want to ask him a million questions in this 30 minutes. How can I get more information on this guy? So I said, okay, he will be an absolutely great you know, guest on the show, because, you know, even if I have bullet points of what I want to ask, as I listen to you, I'm going to learn something else and mm -hmm. I'm going to ask more questions. Um, I have some guests who want to do a pre-show conversation. If you do that, then I may ask the good questions because I'm, I'm genuinely interested in learning and we may blow some of the great conversation on the pre-recording and not the actual podcast. Um, but you, you made two very good points there about content creation. And I think it's the root of all best content in regards to how long your podcast ran in regard to your, your newsletter, which um, it's somewhere along the line, I guess 
when we connected, I got on your newsletter and I, I really appreciate it. It's, it's valuable. Both answering questions in the podcast, answering questions in the newsletter, that is you giving. You're giving information and the expectation isn't to sell something. It's just giving, giving, giving. And the reward you got from all that giving is, you know, a years long podcast, hundreds of episodes is still going, a newsletter that's growing. And, and I'll, I'll say it's a bit famous because I've, I've heard your part, your, your newsletter rather is popular because it's known to give good information. And when I first saw it, I said, well, no wonder why, because it's, it's value packed. I don't mind getting this email because I look forward to reading the information that's in it. Um, so, you know, for those who go at creating content solely for business, I want to give them some inspiration. The fact that, okay, you've given and you've given, you've given, but how has the podcast, your podcast and your newsletter, how has that affected you from a business standpoint? 70% of our leads come from one or both. 70%. Wow. Um, 70% of your leads come from giving information. Yes. Because here's the thing. This is a DVD from a, a martial art that I practice, right? Uh, and this is, this is a seminar, right? This is a lot of knowledge. I can give you this DVD, right? And it contains the, the secrets to you know, certain types of, of martial arts weapons and things. You will learn a ton from this. But guess what? If you don't actually practice, it doesn't matter, right? This is, this is still this is information. I'm giving it to you. But having this doesn't make you a black belt. And one of the fears that a lot of, of, of marketers and, and business execs have is, oh, if we give away the information, people won't buy from us. Ah, if that was true, there would be no such thing as restaurants. Right? People still want someone else to cook for them. <laughs> there's, there's, um, <laughs> exactly. You can have all the recipes. Just because you, you read Guy Fieri's recipe on, on food.com does not mean that you are Guy Fieri, right? You are not, you don't have his skill, you don't have his tools, you don't have his ingredients, right? Back to where we started this show. You do mm -hmm. have the recipe. You still got to do those other things. When you give people information, you're effectively giving them the recipe. And yes, 1% or so probably are going to say, yep, I will take that. I'll do that. I don't need you anymore. Great. They weren't going to buy from you anyway. Um, the other 99% mm -hmm. of people go, great, I've got the recipe. And they try and cook it. They're like, holy crap, I just lit my kitchen on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I should have just paid and, somebody. <laughs> and, and they're like, I don't have that tool. I don't, I, I don't have that skill. Uh, I don't have those ingredients. You know what? Why don't you come to my house and cook for me? Right. And, and when we give away information in businesses, it's exactly the same thing. Here's the recipe. Try it if you like, knowing full well that it's probably not going to go so well. And mm -hmm. you will come back and say, OK, you know what? I still like the idea of this. Will you please make it for me? Right. And that's how you build a successful relationship. You give people what they need that they want to do it themselves or give them a version they mm -hmm. can do it themselves. But then say, if you want the good stuff. Let's work together on. Let's collaborate on something. Let's do bit some business together. And that, uh, I think that reassurance is important, particularly for people who are very motivated by fear. Like you're going to give away all the secrets. I'm sorry, there are very very few secrets, um, and yeah, you know, and they're ones you already know. Like, how, what's the secret to weight loss? Eat eat less, exercise more. Right? <laughs> how, how do you make yeah. money in the stock market? Buy low, sell high. Right? Those, those, those. Yeah, secrets. and as a consumer, you're really you're looking for someone who knows her stuff. You know exactly. And and the guy who is demonstrating his stuff that he knows his stuff, that's who you want to gravitate towards. You may have no interest in doing it, but you want someone to do it. And who do you know knows what they're doing unless they tell you? You know, I actually had a prospect call me last week. And he said, and this is, this is so fun to hear. He said, I was watching one of your videos 
and I learned so much, I felt guilty. I wanted to try to give you some money. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, this guy did not have to tell me all this stuff. He gave me so much information. I want to give him a shot at this business because I feel like I owe him something already. And and that that's an amazing feeling when you when you can get a, a really quick return on the fact that you gave someone something they appreciated it. But you know, again, I want to recite the number you said it's 70% of business coming from giving information. That is exactly that is powerful. That is powerful. So um before we do wrap up, I want to talk about um your you have a book come did you have a new book coming out? Recently, I did. Uh, it's called AI for Marketers. It's the third edition. Um, okay. This is fifty uh, percent longer. <laughs> okay. And the, the 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 book is about how to wrap your brain around the use of AI in marketing. Um, the reason for the third edition is because the field changes so much, and in fact, uh, is already out of date because there's new things, <laughs> new things as of last week that that changed them. But the concepts are all the same, and. It's to help you do two things. One, to help you understand that this stuff is not magic. It's all mathematics. And you don't have to do math to read the book, by the way. Uh, but it's just- That's a good point, because you might scare some folks like me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all just you know the mechanics and mathematics and statistics. That's all machine learning really is. And two, I give you a bunch of examples and, and things so that it helps you be a, it helps you tune your BS detector a little bit, because there's a lot of MarTech right now where companies saying, oh, we've got, you know, our product's different because it's got AI in it. Well, yeah, you can do a linear regression. Technically, it's got AI in it, but that's, you, know, you can do that in Excel too. Um, and so I want people to have a little bit more of a BS detector when it comes to this stuff to understand when a company has actually got the goods, like they can, they can do what they say they're doing. And when they're just using it as a sales and marketing trick, uh, the easiest way, and, and this is a fun tip, the easiest mm -hmm. way to determine who's got the goods and who doesn't is if a company will let you talk to an engineer mm. unaccompanied by a sales guy, like if they'll let you talk to the people who make it, uh, they're probably the real deal because you can ask the engineers honest questions and most of the time you're going to get back brutally honest answers. <laughs> I remember yeah. I was at the, the uh, MarTech conference and I was talking to this one sales guy and I said, oh yeah, I saw the presentation on that main stage and it said that your product does this and this and this. He's like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> we don't do that. It's like the, all this thing is, is a bunch of random forests. So I'm like, okay, so it does have machine learning in it. You, you told me what it is. And I, and we walked through some of the specifics. I'm like, okay, I actually trust you, the engineer, because you built this thing. Um, and the sales guy was probably doesn't even have any idea what the words coming out of his mouth mean. It's just that, you know, that's what he was told to say. And then you talk to companies like, oh, no, you, you can't talk to anybody except the sales guy. It's all proprietary. It's all, you know, you know our black box secret. Like, Mm, no, no, it's not. <laughs> mm. Well, you know, sales are selling next year. They're selling what they hope the product will become. And then if they mess around and sell it, they'll run back to the engineer and say, hey, can we make this happen? And hope <laughs> he says yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's unfortunate. So, yeah, if that if your book can help people, uh, you know, tune in, tune up their their BS detector, that is a big plus because, you know, marketers, we, we buy a lot of tech. We buy a lot of software. We buy a lot of tech. Um, and as a marketing operations person, I've found marketers who bought a lot of things where I said, "Ooh, you should have asked somebody before you bought that because they just sold you smoke and mirrors. You know, mm -hmm. they don't actually exactly. do that. You know, they claim to integrate with this and integrate with that, but they really don't. You know, those kind of things are, can, can definitely be missing. Um, so I want to ask you this, though, and, and this is something that 
actually, I think we're both speaking. This course of podcast will come out after this, but we were both speaking, I think, at Content Tech yep. um, for CMI Content Marketing Institute. And I'll be speaking on, I'll be stepping a little bit in, into your to your neck of the woods, talking about tracking content marketing all the way to the bottom line, you know, using things like UTMs and, and those kind of things. And, you know, one of the things that comes up a lot is, you know, from a marketer standpoint, there is marketing that you can't measure, but you still have to do. And that's a tough one. See, even your face changed when I said that, because we want to measure everything. And I personally am on both sides of the fence. I am trying to measure everything. I want everything to matter to the bottom line. I want to help marketers show your value. Everything you do should be measured and you know show up in the bottom line. So you can tell sales, hey, look, you know, hey, CFO, that everything we did mattered and that we're not just a cost center, you know, we're also a profit center. But there are some things that, you know, live live on from old school marketing. Um, like branding and things are a little bit more difficult to measure. No. Okay. So you said no. So if I say to you, there is some marketing that is worth doing that you can't measure, what do you say to that? Everything in marketing can be measured. It is a question of whether you are willing to invest in measurement to do it or not, right? Mm. But the best practice that I recommend to people that nobody ever does is 25 cents on the dollar. For every dollar you spend on marketing, spend 25 cents on measure. What does the CMO and the CFO want to spend? A, a penny at most to measure things. <laughs> when we talk yeah. about brand, brand is, is straightforward to measure. You have things like market research. You have things like continuously running surveys. You have things like branded organic search tracking. There's so many good measures. You can do sophisticated analysis to say, okay, what is the mathematical relationship between our market research, our unaided recall surveys, and purchase inquiries? And you can develop mathematics for that, and it gives you that answer. What's the problem? Market research is expensive. Market research requires a lot of expertise, right? All these things that make it it slightly more challenging to use that data, but it absolutely can be measured. And there are many companies, particularly the big enterprises, spend a fortune on it. You know, Coca-Cola spends a king's ransom on measuring brand strength, and they've developed really good ways of doing that. Uh, I remember my friend Scott Monty, when he was working at Ford Motor Company, said that they had... Uh, clear tracking that measured brand sentiment from social media and showed that it shows up at dealerships with about a two and a half month lag, right? Um, there is nothing that can't be measured as long as you are willing to invest enough time and money in advance to do it. It'd be like, how, let me ask you, Lee, how was my mac and cheese last night? Hmm. You're like, what? How do you <laughs> I, measure that? Well, yeah, I'm thinking, um, think my, within the context of our conversation, Subjectively, I could say it was good, but how do I measure it from a group of people? Is it by how much was left over compared no, to what I mean, was left no, over just, last just time? Just think about it this way. Right? I haven't told you the ingredients. You don't know how I made it. You don't have the recipe, right? The data's not there. I did. You have none of that stuff. So you really can't say. But if you had invested the time to stand in my kitchen with me and watch me prepare it and you know, see what cheeses I put in, how I made the roux and all this stuff you would be able to say very confidently, yes, I can tell you exactly how good it is because I can compare it then to known best practices and things. I can taste test it and go, okay, this is it. I, like, uh, you didn't let the roux sit long enough. Um, but that would require a lot of investment, right? That would require you to be there uh, and to invest upfront. And that's where particularly CMOs and CFOs are, aren't loggerheads. You've got to invest upfront to say like, I'm going to run 
existing market research just to figure out the baseline for our brand. How much do people like us now? What's their intent to purchase? So all this data is available. Where people, when people say you can't measure some things in marketing, what they're really saying is I am unwilling to spend the money and the time it takes to measure these things. I don't want to spend so, the money. So, so help I me right here. Help me write this script. So I'm the marketer and I'm prone to say we can't measure that. So let me help me rewrite the script. So I have my budget in my hand. I know how much marketing budget we have. So is the script better off for me to say everything is measurable, but within the budget that we have right now, we can only measure maybe these things. Right. Exactly. So Think of it, it's like a Chinese food menu. Like, okay, you get one from column A, two from column B. Um, what do you want to add on? Or what do you not want to do if you want this level of measurement? And you, you present it as choice to people and say, like, do you want to understand the strength of your brand? Great. It will cost you, you know, $100,000 spread over 12 months to do that. <clears throat> How important is that to you? Well, the person could say, it's very important. Here's 100 grand. Go measure my brand. Or they say, no, you're crazy. I'm not spending that money. Like, great. Then you don't know what the strength of your brand. And you have to acknowledge that from this point on, you made that decision to say you were not willing to make that investment. And that's okay. But you cannot then come back and ask that question. Why don't you tell me the strength of my brand? Because you didn't buy it. It's like, why didn't, or, you know, why isn't there a Tesla in my driveway? Because you didn't buy it. <laughs> you know, I, I tend to be the guy who worries so much about the question I'll be asked next year. Like, if we don't start collecting this data right now, you're going to find yourself in a boardroom next year being asked about something that you did not collect. And you have to tell the executive, we don't know. We don't have that data. And hopefully you can do like, like you just said, because you said not to collect it. Hopefully you have some backup to say you didn't buy this analytics platform. So we don't have the data. I think more often it's, I don't care how or why I don't want to get into the weeds. You just told me you don't have the data. And that's, that's a difficult place for marketers to, to find themselves in. It is. It's a very difficult place. And the good news is the job market is so tight right now. You can say to that person, great, I'm leaving. <laughs> going to a different <laughs> Peace, company. I'm out of here. Good luck. See ya. Um, yeah. But to that point, yeah. and this goes back to something we were talking about earlier, Google Analytics 4 is powered by machine learning. Machine learning is powered by data. If you don't go and install it now and set it up now, even if you don't use it now, if it's not in place to collect that data, it can't learn. And then by the time you need to transition to it, your competitors who have been collecting the data will be far ahead of you and they'll be getting better insights out of the software. So please, <clears throat> if you take nothing else away, please go install it today <laughs> and, and just let it passively collect data. Absolutely. Well, Chris, it's been amazing talking with you. I hope we get a chance to talk again. Um, you are a, a plethora of information and, and I want to make sure that our listeners can find you and watch your, so tell us, I know you have a YouTube channel and the podcast, so give us those again and your website again so we can, they can know how to find you. Easiest ways. <clears throat> if you want to see a lot of my work stuff, go to trustinsights.ai and you can see all the, the work stuff from there. And you want to see my own personal stuff, go to ChristopherSPen.com. And again, you can find the newsletter and podcast and YouTube and all that stuff from there as well. It's, it's just easier to go to one of those two places. He's got lots of content. So as deep as you want to dig, he's got it for you. And I really appreciate that. So once again, Chris, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Business of Marketing podcast, a show brought to you by ContentMonster.com, the producer of B2B digital marketing content. Show notes can be found on ContentMonster.com as well as aleejudge.com. To continue the conversation, be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platform.